Well, we want to take our time now and read some scripture passages that we'll preach from. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the first eight verses, is our first text. You'll find in the bulletin page numbers where you can find this passage in your pew Bibles, but you're always welcome to simply to sit back and listen to the word read. There's a, or you have your own Bible to follow along as well. Uh, good passage here. We'll see its application for us in due time. Listen here to God's Word. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do this in the land where you're entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Amen. Our Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 23. We've read this passage many, many times. It's foundational for much of what, what's well, a clear explanation of much of what's foundational for the Gospel, for the Christian life. Jesus is walking with his disciples. They're up in the north, northern part of Israel. Outside, they're almost by uh, Caesarea Philippi. And uh, uh, while they're there, Jesus asks them some questions. Listen here to God's word. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Revelation, the third chapter. We'll read verses 7 through 13. It's the letter to the church at Philadelphia. Uh, the sixth of the seventh churches that Jesus sends letters to. Listen here to God's word. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Well, Father, we come in Jesus' name to you again today. Lord, we thank you for your great blessing to us by giving us your word. Lord, we ask that you would unpack it, open it up to us today, help us to understand what you've said, what you've written, cause to be written, we should say, that Lord, it may feed us, nurture us, direct us, correct us, and indeed be uh, true food for our souls indeed. So come, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, minister here in the midst of the preached word. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. The church in Philadelphia had a tough go of it. Things were hard for them. They were opposed by everyone, by Jews and by Gentiles. They were under assault. Everyone said they were wrong and wrong-headed. Sometimes I think evangelical Christians can feel like that in our contemporary world. You know, you feel like, oh my goodness. And yet, this is one of the two churches of the seven where Jesus has no uh, rebuke for them, nothing to correct. He's, uh, he has only commendation for them. But they were in a tough spot. Now, we want to look at three different aspects of this, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get through it all. The Jews. They had to relate to the Jews. The Jews were a problem. The Jews disputed the Christian affirmations with regard to the Old Testament and with regard to Jesus himself. They said, what right do you Christians have to use our scriptures for your own purposes? You misuse them. That's wrong. What you say is not correct. And they rejected them. They said, no. 
Uh, they also said, and what you assert, what you preach about Jesus of Nazareth is blasphemous. You say he's the son of God. You say he's divine. You say he's the Messiah. That's not true, they said. That's false. And you should shut up. You should quit doing all this. It's wrong. So they were very adamant about this. And in fact, that is the context of the entire New Testament. The entire New Testament has that as its background, this interplay between Jews and church, Jews and Christians. Uh, It's who or what is Jesus? Now I have a verse, you know, John had written 1 John 5. Can we put that up here? Here's, Here's what we need to recall. Here's what we need to keep in mind. It says, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You know, that's pretty clear. That's pretty straightforward. If you deny Jesus as the Son of God, if you deny Him as the Messiah, you do not have eternal life. You don't, you know, that's not, you're, you're not where you should be in God's eyes, as it were. Uh, and that's, that's uh, pretty straightforward. But always the question becomes, but, but who do you say Jesus is? You have to answer. The disciples in Matthew 16, where we read, they said what other people said. There are a variety of options out there. But Jesus pressed them. But what do you say? How do you identify me? And Jesus wants to know what they say. Faith is always personal. You have beliefs. Each person, you're a creation of God. You need to believe. But what is it that you believe is what Jesus says. He says it's not about being good, but about knowing Jesus. He's not saying you shouldn't be good. We'll talk about that perhaps, we hope. But you need to know who he is and what he did. That is the key to life. To know who Jesus is and what he did. If you don't know that and can't understand that properly, you do not have the key to life. That's why we want to take a dollar a day to underwrite a program to take the gospel to the Irukala people in India. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't have the key to life. Other people say lots of things. He says, but what do you say? And here is one of the values of creeds. We're a creedal church. That is, we recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or some creedal statement most every time on, a, on, on the Lord's Day. What do you say about the virgin birth? We all know that virgins don't give birth. That was challenged already back in the New Testament. Here, for these guys, you're saying that a virgin gave birth? Right. Right. Our creedal statements say something about resurrection. Jesus suffered, died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. 
Never to die again. Do you believe that? Jews didn't believe that. Christians did. How about his ascension into heaven? His bodily ascension into heaven at the right hand of God. Do you believe that? Creeds say yes. He ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God. And moreover, it says he's going to return. He's going to come back. Be physically visible to the whole world. All the creeds begin with creation. That God, who is the one who created all that is, well, all those things can be challenged. And we need to make sure we know what we believe. So here's our issue with the Jews in, in our day and age where we are. We want to be Jews. We have a very romantic notion about Jewish people. They were the people of God. They have the covenants and all that. We want to be Jewish. Uh, yet here, and in the letter to Smyrna, Jesus says something shocking. Go ahead. What's the next? Revelation 2.9, Revelation 3.9. These are words from the lips of Jesus, who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Told that about the people there in Smyrna. He says, the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. That's a harsh judgment on the Jews, which comes from Jesus' lips. Uh, that's the only two instances of the entire Bible where you find that phrase, a synagogue of Satan. And it comes from the lips of Jesus about the Jews. Now, we don't think that they're devil worshipers. What Jesus is saying is that what they teach and what they preach is not accurate. It's a lie of the devil. To this day, if you're a Jew, a good Jew, you must say that Jesus was not and is not the Son of God, that Jesus was not and is not the Messiah, and that anyone who thinks so is greatly mistaken. In fact, they're blasphemous for what they say. And, you know, it's hard to find wiggle room in all that. You know, did you notice what Jesus called Peter? Put that up here. Jesus says some things about him. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, he didn't think that Peter was Satan, did he? No more than he thought the synagogue was a bunch of devil-worshipping people, all right? Just so we see that. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So all those folk who, for one reason or another, deny who Jesus is, and what he's done, in their denial, they are following the teaching, the dictates, the, the subversive uh, action of the devil. He's the one who doesn't want people to understand who Jesus is and what it is that he's done. We can say this, opposition to Jesus as the Son of God to Jesus as Messiah, is satanic in origin. How's that? 
It's the devil pushing back against that which God has done. Now, what do we say about the Israel of God? We say the Israel of God is comprised of Jews and Gentiles who believe Jesus is Messiah. That's a good definition of the Israel of God. Jesus told the the church here in Philadelphia, you have kept the word, have not denied my name. That is, his name is his identity, who he is, son of God, savior. It's what we, we quoted in Psalm 2. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And we say, yes, that's right. Jesus is the son of God. He's the king who's been put on uh, the holy hill of Mount Zion. Now we have hope for natural Israel. That is for Jews who deny Jesus. We have hope for everyone, but we certainly have hope for Jews. They are beloved of God but they're in rebellion. They're rebelling against God and what he's done and what he said through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We expect them, I'm saying we, evangelical Christians, expect the Jews to come back to biblical faith in due time, in mass. So, that was... Point number one, should be on point number three, I'm on point number two now. Now the keepers of the keys, that's us. Our reading from Deuteronomy 4 is crucial to this. Uh, the Jews were to live and act differently from all the nations around them. All the laws and statutes that they had were to make them distinctive. It was not only to be right and good and true and holy, but to make them distinctive. Did you notice that a lot of those laws and things are the very things that our society, our culture is taking back and embracing? We're taking back the things which were forbidden. Show Deuteronomy 4, 6 up there if you could. Oh, you beat me to it. My goodness. Uh, Here's what uh, God, the Lord, told them. says, so keep and do them, that is these statutes, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Because you'll live differently than them. They'll want to know why. Because this is what God said. God has a moral order. He said this is right and this is wrong. It's not up to us to declare right and wrong. It's up to us to discern that and see that. Therefore, take warning, O judges of the earth. (laughs) Uh, Show discernment. Take warning. Look out. He's declared what's right and wrong. You understand that? I mean, that's that's what he's saying here. Uh, That's still our wisdom in the sight of the nations. Though they call it folly, it's wisdom. You know, there was a commission to Peter and the disciples. He says, I will give you... I will give you the keys of the kingdom. But then he says, don't tell anyone about me yet. It's called the messianic secret. Why is that? Why didn't you want to tell anyone about him yet? Why? Well, neither the disciples nor the other people were ready. Disciples had a lot more learning to do. They have a lot to, to learn yet. That time will come. By the end of the book of Matthew, the gospel, he says, go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. He says, go now. Go now. Go tell people who I am. Uh, you know what happened? Here's what happened. Look at this. 
The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. God had opened the door. It was time to do it. And as, as they did that, people, Jews, were being converted to true faith, to follow up where they, where all of what the Old Testament taught. The gospel spread worldwide. Now, we, the whole church, are the inheritors and keepers of that. In fact, we're the, when we say keepers, we mean the disseminators. So we don't think keep means hold on to, it means hold on to and disseminate. Send it out. Let everyone here know who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for them. Okay, you can take that one down. Now, what about the promises of Jesus? We have to hurry on here. He shows himself to the Philadelphians as holy and true, the one who is holy and true. He confirms to them that they're right on track. Says he's the one in charge. He opens and no one can close. He shuts and no one can open. That's answered question number one. Who's in charge here? Remember our five-point covenantal model? Answer number one, who's in charge? He says, I'm the one in charge. (laughs) I open and no one can close. I close and no one can open. I'm holy and true. He says an hour is coming. He's coming quickly. And all that. So so what are we to make of this? Well, the Philadelphians who received this, they had to hear that and said, ah, an hour of testing's coming. He's coming quickly. What what does that mean? Uh, Well, in AD 66 and on up through about 75, Rough times lay ahead for the whole world there. The Roman Empire was in turbulence. All things going up and down. Jerusalem's going to fall. The temple's going to be raised. There's going to be a change of empire in in the Roman Empire in terms of who's there and who's not. Uh, All kinds of things are happening that are tough, that are hard. It's the age of Nero. If you've been through confirmation, you know one of the things Nero did after he burned Rome is he'd have garden parties and he'd take Christians and wrap them in animal skins, put them up on a pillar and burn them for illumination in his garden parties. That's called rough times, right? Yeah. Uh, And there are things like that all over different spots of the Roman Empire. Things were tough. They lived through it and were kept. Just what Jesus promised them, they were pillars in the church of God, the church at Philadelphia. Did you know that in the 21st century, there are still five congregations whose lineage goes all the way back to this church. Of the seven churches that Jesus wrote letters to, only the church at Philadelphia has a continuous unbroken line of faith among their congregations. So Jesus kept them. Uh, Now Jesus has come in many ways as a precursor to his final coming. He comes in judgment. the time of the Reformation, we're doing this in Confirmation now. The Turks were that. Man, it made the, the church set up take notice. Well, what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? The Turks are allowed to get us. That was a, one of Martin Luther's great cries, is look out for the Turks. God's going to judge us through them, just like he judged Israel through the Assyrians. We better get squared away. We better get right. Uh, and so, we can say that difficulties challenge people with regard to what they believe. Would God let his people go through hardship? We've already sung about that and heard about that. The prosperity gospel says no. Bible and history say yes. 
God does indeed allow and have and purpose for his people sometimes to go through hard times. Uh, if we can work it, I'm going to show a video here in just a second. It's uh, a guy, the guy who's talking is Nick Foles. Do you remember Nick Foles? Uh, he was a quarterback for the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl, right? And then he, he became a free agent and he signed a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars this, this coming season, or this season that's going on now. The first game he got hurt, injured. First quarter, I think. And he's been out. And so at a press conference this week, he's asked the question, well, you're a man of faith. Do you think that, well, how have you responded to God that he let you go through all this? All this has happened. So if you have that, go ahead and play that right now. So week after week, not playing, you're a football player. You're watching this young kid go out. It's Minshew mania is going crazy. I know you're a man of faith, and I know you're trying, but you're also human. I mean, ever any doubts coming up in your mind as you go through that? No, that's where, you know, right when this, right when I felt this thing break and I was going into the locker room, I just realized, you know, I just realized, God, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking when I came to Jacksonville. Obviously, you come here and you want to create a culture and impact people. But at the end of the day, as I like, God, if this is the journey you want me to go on, I'm going to glorify you in every action, um, good or bad. And, you know, I still could have joy in an injury. Um, and that, that's people hear that and say, that's crazy. But it's like when you believe in Jesus and you, you go out there and you play and that's that changes your heart. And you only understand it when, you know, that purpose in your life, just like when I hoisted the Lombardi trophy. The reason I'm smiling is my faith was in Christ in that moment. And I realized I didn't need that trophy to define who I was because it was already in Christ. And that's my message when I play. Same thing happens when I get injured. We tend to make this so much about us as human beings. We tend to make it about us as athletes. It's not about us. It really isn't. And if you make it about yourself, you're probably gonna go home at night, lay your head on your pillow and be very alone and very sad. And then hopefully someday you can find that purpose in your life because my purpose isn't football, it's impacting people. And I, my, my ministry happens to be the locker room. And I've been able still to get to know people, get to know these guys through an injury. Though I might not be playing, that is difficult from a fleshly perspective, but from the spiritual perspective, from my heart, I've been able to grow as a human being to where I feel like I'm at a better situation here as a person than I was before because of the trial I just went under. And I know that's a sermon in itself, but that's how I go through life. And the good Lord's been there to, you know, it's not always about prosperity. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I believe if you read the word of God and you understand it, there's trials along the way, but they equip your heart to be who you are. So um, when I step on the field, I'm going against a man in Frank Reich, who's very similar. He's a guy that I admire more than anything. He's a guy that has impacted my life so much, and he's going to be on the opposing sideline. So um, that's going to be fun. What he said, he said, this is a sermon in and of itself. I thought so too. And he basically said in a, two minutes what I've been trying to tell you. Our identity, <laughs> I don't get paid as much as, if you pay me what they pay him, I'll say it in two minutes. <laughs> I'm teasing, you know that. There's a lot to be pulled out of what he said. But, but uh, he said our identity is in Christ. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has done. And that changes everything in his whole life. He is a keeper of the key. And the title of the sermon this morning is that we are called to be keepers of the key. And the key is the knowledge of Christ. The church at Philadelphia in the first century was a keeper of the key. They're commended by Jesus for that. May we, the 21st century, here near Philadelphia, may we likewise be keepers of the key. Amen.